Today is a special day because today is Baptism Sunday. We get to baptise five people today, two people at 9am, three people at 4pm. It was my hope that we could spread these guys out. But they all wanted to be at 9 and 4 because those are the services they're already in and so we obviously didn't want to change that. But as as Patrick said, we are going to be showing you the video of Paul Rees and Esther Monk who got baptised at 9am this morning with a lot of friends and, and relatives and guests present. So we want you to enjoy that. And then this evening's baptisms, they'll be going online as well so you can participate and enjoy it that way. Today is Baptism Sunday. It is always a wonderful and glorious day for us to celebrate. And the reason for that is because baptism, as biblically defined, is an incredible thing. Now, Wayne Grudem says it this way. He says, since Jesus commanded his church to baptize, in Matthew 28, verse 19, we would expect that there would be a measure of blessing connected with baptism. Because all obedience to God by Christians brings God's unmerited favor with it. This obedience is specifically a public act of confessing Jesus as Savior, an act which in itself brings joy and blessing to a believer. For the amazing truths of passing through the waters of judgment safely, of dying and rising with Christ, and of having our sins washed away are truths of momentous and eternal proportion, and ought then to be an occasion for giving great glory and praise to God. Amen. Baptisms ought to be a moment of bringing great glory and praise to God. No one becomes a Christian as they get baptized. That isn't the way it works. We become a Christian by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour. And yet when we do that, when we actually put our faith in Jesus Christ, we want to honour him, we want to love him, we want to live for him. And the very first thing he calls us to do then as a desire to live for him is go ahead and get baptised as a sign and as a seal of what has taken place in our hearts and as a sign and public declaration that our lives are Jesus's, that Christ is our Lord and that we want to follow him for all the days of our lives. Today then for us is a glorious day as we celebrate baptisms together as a church family. And to mark then this most special day, I want to take us back to an even more glorious day that took place 2,000 years ago. And that's the day that Jesus Christ himself actually got baptised. It's such an incredible moment in Scripture. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Mark chapter 1. Right at the beginning of the Gospel of Mark, he talks to us about the moment where Jesus Christ himself, the sinless one, the King of kings and Lord of lords, also got baptised. And oh my, what a moment it is. So Mark chapter 1, we're going to read from verse 1. Through to the end of verse 11. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John appeared. Baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now Jesus was clothed with, so sorry, now John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. 
I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Let's pray. Lord, your word is astounding. And Lord, I thank you for this glorious window today into what it was like the day that you got baptized. Lord, would this be a scene that we get to treasure this morning? As we walk through it step by step, would we stop and stare and treasure what we see? Lord, you are amazing. And this was your day. Make it alive to us in your precious name. Amen. You know, baptism for each one of us is a wonderful moment. When having given your life to Jesus Christ, you go ahead and publicly declare that for everybody who has ears to hear. It is a wonderful moment. And yet right here in Mark chapter 1, we have the most glorious moment of all. The moment where Jesus Christ himself also got baptized. And as we stop and stare at this moment this morning before enjoying some baptisms that took place at 9 a.m. today, There's two things that I believe Mark so wants us to see in this text. And it's as we see them that I think we will stand in awe of Jesus all the more. Number one is the baptism of Jesus. Number two is heaven's response. They're my two points this morning. So number one, let's stop and stare at the baptism of Jesus. Oh my, what a baptism this is. Look again at verse 9. He says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee... And was baptized by John in the Jordan. This is a moment in the text where there is a great attention shift. In a moment, the attention shifts. There is a multitude mentioned in verse 5. It says in verse 5 that all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to John. This is hundreds of thousands of people being baptized by John. The whole world is appearing to be getting baptized, this baptism of repentance, as they make straight their paths before the coming of the king. All attention is on these multitudes in verse 5, but in verse 9, all attention goes on to one lone figure coming from Nazareth. You know, Nazareth was whoop-whoop. It was the butt end of nowhere. Only 200 people would have lived in Nazareth. It was a town that would have been about the size of a football pitch. It was an obscure town that doesn't even get a mention in the Old Testament. And outside of these references to it, the only other references in the New Testament are people saying, surely no one, nothing good can come out of Nazareth. Because it's whoop whoop. It's the middle of nowhere. Nothing happens in Nazareth. And yet after John announces in verses 7 and 8, the coming of the mighty one, the coming of one whose sandals he is unworthy to untie, the coming of the one who will baptize with the Spirit, we then see this one lone figure, Jesus of Nazareth, arriving at the Jordan and then proceeding to step in to the rivers of Jordan so that he can be baptized by John. This is a staggering and historical moment. This is the sinless one. 
This is the King of kings and Lord of lords. This is the King, the one who would be promised long ago. And so the instant reaction as we gather around this text this morning should be, why is Jesus doing this at all? This is a baptism of repentance. So why would Jesus be getting baptized a baptism of repentance? This is the sinless one. Why would the mighty one, the one mightier than John, the one who John says he is unworthy to untie his sandals, the one who will baptize with the baptism of the Holy Spirit, why would this one, the Holy One, want to subject himself to the baptism of John? It's perplexing. John himself in the Gospel of Matthew, he's also perplexed. Jesus starts to get in the water and John's like, no, no, there's no way. You are him, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. You, you, I can't baptize you. You should be baptizing me. Everybody's perplexed. John in particular. But Jesus insists that this is time for him to get baptized. But why? And it's as you examine this text and the text that goes after it that you realize there is very specific and historic meaning as to why Jesus must get baptized. See, firstly and foremostly, Jesus gets baptized as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And in the Old Testament, there are 300 prophecies over 500 years by various different voices that all talk about Jesus, that all talk about where Jesus is going to be born, how he's going to live his life, how he's going to die. There are 300 prophecies over 500 years that all relate into Jesus Christ. And one of those prophecies is in the book of Malachi and Isaiah. And it is a prophecy that we read about right at the start of this Gospel of Mark in verses 2 and 3. This is what he says. He says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. That was a prophecy written 700 years before the coming of Jesus Christ. And it's the prophecy about the one who will come just before Jesus and be declaring to all a baptism of repentance and to be declaring to all the need to make your path straight for the coming of the King. Repentance is needed. Judgment is coming. The King is coming. Make straight your paths. And as Jesus then gets into the waters of the Jordan, one of the things he's doing is saying, you know what, everything, Jesus, everything John stood for in his message and in his personhood and in his ministry, it's true. As he gets into the waters, he's effectively pointing back at John, saying he's the one that Isaiah prophesied about. He's the one that Malachi talked about. He's the one that would prepare the coming of the king. For I am the king. And he is the one who is always meant to point. Isn't it amazing? He's affirming in this moment the fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy by affirming John's ministry and message. But more even than that, the main reason why he gets baptized in this moment is as an identification with sinful humanity. With you. And with me. And so in his baptism, he fulfills Old Testament prophecy. But more even than that, in his baptism, he identifies with sinful humanity. He identifies with you and me. And my friends, aren't you glad that he did? 
Because as he takes his first steps into the water of the Jordans at this moment, he actually is also taking his first steps in ministry terms towards Calvary. And a moment then where he would give his life as a ransom for many and take on the full righteous wrath of God in our place in the full. Baptism for Jesus wasn't the end, it was the beginning. It is the start of his ministry and getting baptized, he is identifying with you and with me. He doesn't need to repent of anything, but we do. He's sinless, but everybody who's getting baptized is sinful. And he's identifying even now with an identification that will be fulfilled at Calvary with sinful humanity. See, the Bible's clear that we were made by the Lord. God made us. It was him who ultimately knitted us together in our mother's womb. And he made us to find our identity and our joy and our peace in him. He is the glorious creator of all and we are the created. The challenge that came is all of the created decide to reject the creator and just stick with the created. That's what sin is. It's a rebellion against the creator, a rebellion against the one who made us. And because of that, the Bible tells us that we're cut off from God in our sin. In his holiness and majesty and righteousness, he cuts us off from himself. Each and every one of us have gone our own way and we're an object of the wrath of God. And he could have left us there, to be quite honest. We rejected him. We rebelled against him. And yet in his mercy and grace and love, he came after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. And this is him. This is the one who comes after us on the greatest rescue mission ever told. Jesus Christ gets into the waters that will then ultimately culminate at Calvary. And it's at Calvary that he would give his life away as a ransom for many. It's at Calvary as he hangs on a cross declaring it is finished. That the whole mission that he came for has been finished. Now through faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ, we can be forgiven of our sin. We can be redeemed to God. We can be adopted into the family of God. We can know for sure that heaven is our home. All through faith in his work. And in ministry terms, as he stands and walks into the Jordan, This is where his ministry all begins. Kent Hughes says it this way. He says, because Jesus was sinless, he needed no baptism of repentance. But in his baptism, he associated himself with us sinners and placed himself among the guilty. Not for his own salvation, but for ours. And not for his own guilt, but for ours. And to Jesus, his baptism meant The cross. Isn't that amazing? This baptism then, make no mistake, is like no other. This is the most glorious baptism that would have ever taken place. This one who's getting baptized is like no other. This is the King of kings and Lord of lords and the sinless one. And yet at the start of his ministry, he gets baptized as a fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy and as an identification with the sinful humanity that he has come to seek and save. And in this moment, as he comes back up out of the waters, the heavens respond in a very unusual way. That's my second point, to stop and stare at heaven's Response. I mean, look with me at verses 10 and 11. 
It says, And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. Though it may have appeared on paper, at least at first glance, that Jesus was just like anybody else getting baptized. They're getting baptized in their hundreds and thousands. It would appear on paper that he's just like everybody else. Mark informs us otherwise. This is an unusual one getting baptized in this moment. And he shows us how unusual he is by helping us see the three incredible and serious signs that took place in this moment, all that reveal that Jesus of Nazareth is actually the Son of God. He's very different to everybody else who got baptized, nor ever will. He's the King, the Son of God himself. Right up front then we see that the heavens are torn open. As the saviour of the world comes up out of the water, the first thing he actually sees are the heavens being torn open. Now listen, this would have been a cataclysmic moment, okay? We're not talking about a small break in the clouds where sun came through and shone on his face. Nope, that is not the way it is written at all. In the Greek, this doesn't mean a small break. This means a tearing. It's like the tearing of a garment. It means to tear something or render something. Think of the parting of the Red Sea in this moment. That is what is taking place. Jesus is coming up out of the water and the heavens, boom, there is a tearing of the heavens taking place. You know, this is something that all the way back in Isaiah 64 verse 1, Isaiah prays for. He prays for a tearing and a rending of the heavens. He has observed the state of mankind and of Israel and he cries out to God, In Isaiah 64, verse 1, it says his prayer. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Seeing the state of humanity, Isaiah prays, oh, that you would tear open the heavens and come down. Well, guess what? 700 years later, boom, this is God answering that prayer. He rends the heavens. He tears open the heavens because he has come. And what God is doing in this minute is saying, this is him. This is God incarnate. God has come down. He's come down to seek and save the lost. And this is him. I love it. You know, sometimes we pray for things and we expect God to answer now. God doesn't seem to mind waiting 700 years to answer prayers sometimes. Doesn't mean he hasn't listened. Maybe the answer is just not yet. Isaiah prays and in this moment, 700 years later, in the timing and glory of God, he answers. And then as he comes up out of the water, he not only sees the heavens being torn open, but he sees the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And so he sees the heavens torn open, and then he sees the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, descending on him like a dove as he receives fresh empowerment from him for his mission and ministry to come. The Holy Spirit, who once hovered over the waters of the world in Genesis chapter 1, now descends on Jesus to empower him for his mission and ministry to come. You know, my friends, that's the same Holy Spirit that when we put our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, descends on us. We don't see him come like a dove from above, but the Bible makes it clear he has come. Why? Well, to empower us for ministry and mission. 
to be with us, to help us see that God is with us and to empower us for the road ahead. This is a dramatic moment that would be fulfilled time and time again as people put their faith in Jesus Christ. Yet what is unique is Jesus actually sees it happening as the Spirit comes down to fill him afresh, to empower him for his mission and ministry to come. And then I think the most incredible thing of all happens. He hears the divine decree. This is what he hears in verse 11. And a voice came from heaven, the voice of the Father. You are my beloved Son, and with you I am well pleased. I love it. It's like the father can't contain himself any longer. This is like the father at a graduation who is so thrilled and proud of their kid. They're the one at the back going, Woohoo! That's my kid! It's you! I love you! That's what, does everybody know? That's my son, my son! That's what the Father is doing in this moment. The heavens have been torn apart. The Spirit has descended like a dove. And it's like the Father can't contain himself any longer. This is what was planned for years to come. That his son would come on the greatest rescue mission ever told. It has begun. The ministry has begun. The heavens are torn open. Hey! You. I love you. You are my beloved son. Son, I am so proud of you. In you, I am well pleased. What a tender moment, don't you think? What a staggering moment. See, in Psalm 2, King David prophesies of a king to come who will be greater than him. David knew that he was an imperfect king. But he prophesied that the one that would one day one who would come, who would be a perfect king, who would be the holy one, the sinless one. And he prophesied that this one to come would indeed be the son of God. So we read in Psalm 2. He says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. And I will tell of all the decree. The Lord said to me, you are my He prophesies that this Holy One, this King of kings and Lord of lords, will be the Son of God. And here we see God the Father rending the heavens and helping everybody see this is Him. This is my Son. This is the King you've been waiting for. This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. You know, what a moment for the Son this must have been, don't you think? He's just about to start three and a half years of incredibly difficult ministry that will culminate on the cross. Immediately after this event, he is led out by the Spirit to the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights where he will be tempted by, the, by Satan himself. What must it have meant to him then? That just before he goes, he hears his dad saying, you are my son. I love you. And in you I am well placed. What a precious moment. And my friends, what a precious moment then this is for us as well, isn't it? It's just another moment where we get to glimpse of the glorious relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And another moment where we get to glimpse and be staggered about how incredible the Son really is. 
all that he is about to do in our place. This is the moment where in ministerial terms it all begins. What a moment. So my friends, as we celebrate with all those getting baptized today, and I want to encourage you, find out who's getting baptized and text them where you know them, encourage them. As we celebrate with all those getting baptized today, I want to encourage you in particular, as we celebrate their glorious moment, may we never lose sight of this glorious moment. Because this is where it all began for each and every one of us. This is the moment where Jesus himself got into the waters to identify with sinful humanity. A reality that would culminate at the cross. A reality that we now point back to as we baptize people in that pool as well. Pointing back to how they've been died with Jesus Christ and how they've been resurrected with Jesus Christ. It is a glorious illustration. And it all came about because of this precious moment. Let's pray. Lord, I do thank you for this incredible scene in your word. Lord, the fact that we get to stop and stare at the moment that you got baptized, oh Lord, it is as if we were there. Lord, thank you for bringing this to life in your word. Oh Lord, as we now enjoy some baptisms on the screen, Lord, would we delight that all these stories are only possible because of you. Thank you for coming after us. And would all glory go to you. In Jesus' name, amen.